0: I think I've finally figured out our pre-show problem. You know, we can't come up with anything. At first I thought, let's just outsource it. But Chris said he's not paying for that. So I got the computers to do it.
1: Hey guys, how
0: do you know the Dragon SpaceX rocket runs Linux? Because there is no sound in space. LOL Pulse Audio Am I Right?
1: Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Coming up on the show, well, we're going to talk about it. The internet has been going crazy with AI-generated media. But what's the open source story here? And does any of this work on Linux, or is Linux being left behind once again? We'll dig in. Plus, I tried out the new Ubuntu 22.10 release on a possible a Raspberry Pi alternative that's going to blow your socks off. And we'll tell you our thoughts on the new release as well. And then we'll round out the show with some boosts, some picks, and a lot more. So before we go any further, let's do the right thing. Let's bring in our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello, 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 friends um, guys. Hello, Howdy. Chris. Hello, Wes, and hello, Brent. Hello. hello, hello, everybody in the mumble room. Hello, everybody in the quiet listening. It's a great way to get a Opus low latency. High-quality live stream of the show, and it's using a full free software stack. Details at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash mumble.
0: We also apply a filter, so Chris always sounds like that if you're in the mumble room. That's right.
1: Also <laughs> on the Jupiter tube, another free software stack to watch how the show sausage is made. I want to say good morning to our friends over at TailScale. TailScale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard, which is the best in the biz. We love it. It'll change your game. Just build a flat mesh network of all your machines. Stop using that old VPN tunnel old school style. (laughs) Go say good morning to our friends over TailScale and try it out for 20 devices for free at TailScale.com. So Ubuntu 2210 landed this week. It's back, guys. This is the Ubuntu I like to see. This is Ubuntu shipping new GNOME, shipping new Nautilus, shipping GTK4.
0: It does kind of feel like one of the more exciting. I know it's just an interim release and all, but... I don't know. There's something
1: about it. It's got, it's got more energy. It's a good baseline for an LTS, too. Like, if they didn't add anything else new before the LTS or something like this, is great. GNOME 43 is great. New Nautilus, great. Updated GNOME software, great. Pipewire by default now. Oh, yes,
0: please.
1: Great. So, it's called Kinetic Kudu. <laughs> that's, that's fun to say. It's going to have a nine-month life cycle. So, it is a short-term release, like Wes was saying. On the Plasma side, you're going to get 525, which... That is technically one point release behind, but it's still a great release of Plasma. And you get the new GNOME system settings. A lot of this stuff now has that new adaptable UI that resizes. Which is real, real nice.
0: That's real nice, yeah. It's real nice.
1: I don't know how we lived before that, really. I think the biggest user-facing feature in um, 2210, if you're on the GNOME side, is the new Quick Settings menu. I don't know if you've seen this. Did you, yeah. Did you get a chance to look at it? It looks kind of like macOS is a little bit where there's big buttons to do stuff. Yeah, I was like, oh, these are big. Yeah, they're big. They're big. They're clearly very clear. Very clear. They're clearly labeled. They're the ones you'd want. I think it's a little bit of like a compromise design for desktop and mobile, but fair enough. And they're going to be totally approachable by new users. So it seems like a a net improvement. Uh, One thing that we need to dig around with is there have been some issues with Linux 5.19 and Pipewire. We ran into that uh, at the Airbnb, right, Brent?
2: Yeah, I have an audio interface I've been using for years on Linux, no problem. That's the whole reason we got this thing. And uh, one day, with my new computer, we plugged it in and gave it a try. And all of a sudden, everyone sounded like robots. It wasn't a good thing. And it was a sample mismatch, turns out. Listener Jeff helped me solve it. So unfortunately, for the time being, I've just got a bunch of terminal commands that I run to get it solved. But it sounds like this might fix it.
1: I wonder. I wonder. We'll have to test. I don't know if they have the fix in there or not. It depends on the version of PipeWire, right?
0: Yeah, you mean it'll depend on the version of PipeWire and, like, what fixes, you know, what all goes into the kernel build that's shipped here? I don't know. I haven't played around with it that much. I just had seen some issues where, like, not all the correct available sample rights were being represented to PipeWire, so then it wasn't displaying them and it couldn't select the right one for your interface. And those happened to be filed right around the time of 5.19. But it's been here for a while. You know, we've got an even new kernel beyond that. So, yeah. It very well could not be an issue. We got to see what Brent We'll do about. some testing. Yeah. yeah. We we'll, just got to, we haven't gotten to that yet. Well, we don't want to break Brent's setup right before we do the show.
2: I mean. We did have the entire interface apart physically and I'm so, I'm glad to hear it's a software <laughs> issue and not a hardware issue because we were ready <laughs> to do some pretty drastic uh, changes to this thing.
1: So these, this is where an interim release is really serving its purpose in my opinion. Like this is, this is just a quintessential Ubuntu release because the switch to Pipewire, there's going to be some issues. It doesn't work for everyone. It's not smooth for everybody, despite how much we love it. Some people have problems. The other thing, there's a big switch in here. They're replacing WPA supplicant with Intel's iNet wireless daemon. Right. And that feels like one of those changes that also... Yeah, right. People love when their Wi-Fi doesn't work. Just notoriously, right? Yeah. Uh, could you imagine if you get bit by some pipe wire? I have issue, no sound and Wi Fi. You're trying to do a virtual <laughs> meeting or something, <laughs> and you're that you're that guy. <laughs> um, but you know what? It's also a transition that needs to happen, just like the pipe wire one. Uh, IWD. Does uh, anyone like WPS? No. Can. Yeah, but you and you want to hash that out before the you know the next major release. These are the times, right? These are the times. So you get you get the new stuff in there. You get the new Gnome in there. You get the new pipe wire. It would rip out WPA, WPA supplicant. I think that, I think they've checked all the boxes. So I decided to try this on something new. And I am really impressed that 2210 just worked out of the box on this brand new piece of hardware I just got into the studio. A couple of days ago, I received my Odroid H3+. Plus. They're pitching it as a Raspberry Pi killer. I think we had a good debate, if you could actually call it that on the pre-show. Um, but. It's definitely a Raspberry Pi alternative, so the H3 Plus is just slightly more expensive. That's it's hundred and sixty-five dollars. They have a non-plus; it's a little bit cheaper. Hmm. And for this SBC, that's uh, about double the size physical size of a Raspberry Pi. So it has a quad-core Jasper Lake Intel Atom on there with Quick Sync support. It has support for up to sixty-four gigabytes of dual-channel DDR4 RAM. Ooh. Slots on the bottom, uh, Two laptop mix, style. I see. Two gigabit, actually, I think they're 2.5 gigabit NICs. (laughs) Yeah, two two, 2.5 gigabit Realtek NICs. It has two SATA ports, two SATA ports. I mean, when you compare the Raspberry Pi storage options, that's a game changer. It also has an NVMe port on the bottom. So you can put in a PCIe 3 M.2 NVMe storage on this thing. It has a real-time clock battery as well. And uh, they say you can configure it for unlimited performance mode so the CPU can run sustained in turbo boost mode.
0: Well, if there's one thing I know about you, it's you hate limited
1: performance. <laughs> so this thing just shipped. It's x86 because it's an Atom processor. And it's, uh, it's a, I haven't really measured it much, but it's supposedly around a 5-watt idle. Somewhere in that room. Oh, range. we will find out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be testing that. And uh, it's got the Intel UHD graphics on there, and it just loaded right up. I mean, Ubuntu did compl- had a couple of complaints as it was booting initially about some USB stuff, and I do have a really weird keyboard, so it might have been that. Okay. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really ever need to troubleshoot it because it eventually moved on, and it just booted right to the desktop and everything worked. Everything. Sound worked, video worked.
0: And you were booting off USB at this point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Networking worked. Keyboard? Keyboard worked. Yeah. All right. Um, it was it was good to go. It was a totally up to date twenty two ten system on the H-dro- on the odroid h three. Does it have Wi Fi? Worked out of the box. I was plugged into Ethernet. Uh huh. I actually don't know if it does have Wi Fi. I, I don't think it does. Out I of guess all you the things it Nicks has, are fine. But at all the things, and you know, yeah, I would not use it on Wi Fi because I'm a gentleman. I'm all about the Ethernet for my little server boxes. I am really hyped about having two SATA ports plus MVME on this thing. Mm, that's a lot of storage options. You know, a lot of times when people reviewed the Raspberry Pi 4 and the Pi 400, they'd they'd say something like desktop class performance. And then I'd use it and I'd be like, that's not desktop. I don't know what kind of (laughs) desktop you're running. (laughs) That's not desktop performance. This thing felt like it had true desktop performance. So much so that I've been speculating on the live stream that maybe we could actually replace one of our bigger x86 towers that does our recordings with this. Something like this. So I'm going to throw this in uh, the line of duty in Lady Jupes. And it's going to be my jellyfin and sync thing and documentation server and possibly a Bitcoin node. We'll see.
2: Chris, I'm curious so far, it looks like from what Wes was showing that you're probably running this thing just sort of set on the desk. But I'm curious if you have thoughts around a case or even how much heat it
1: produces. I will measure how much heat it produces. I'm not sure. You know, so you're familiar with my booth setup. I am. uh, That I have in Jupes. I may just end up going for some way to mount it to the wall and just leave it naked. However, I've been just recently looking at cases that the community are starting to make. And I don't know if there's anything you can just go on Amazon and order yet. I don't think there is, but maybe there is. But there's definitely some 3D printed ones that people are starting to come up with. And nice. You're seeing ideas for additional disks, and you're seeing ideas to like mount fans. So I'm, I think it's, it's fertile ground. And it has a decent following. And the timing is perfect, because nobody can get their hands on a Raspberry Pi. And this thing... It's, it's checking all the boxes and it's x86. So everything works. I mean, like multi-image support, you know, things that work on the Pi have gotten a lot better. But
0: yeah, it's, it is still nice to know. You're just like, well, it runs on my laptop. I can just move it over here. And you can get up
1: to 64 gigs of RAM in this. And PCIe NVMe storage, oof, it's totally a different experience. It really is. It's an upgrade. So for 165 bucks, yeah, it's more than a Pi. But if you're building a low-power home server or something like that, or you want a little desktop that you could mount to the bottom of your desk, this is it. Right. And,
0: and to get some of this stuff, like, you'd need to have, like, extensions to the Pies anyway, right? Or, like, a fancier sort
1: of yeah. compute module style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a carrier board. And this, again, it's just great that Linux just booted. Ubuntu twenty two ten just booted. Uh, fresh and hot. Just worked yeah. on it. So you you know... You get something like this, and the fact that the hard kernel folks are getting this shipped out—I mean, we ordered this thing like two, three weeks ago, and it's showed up like last week. So they're actually shipping, unlike the Raspberry Pi, uh, which is nice. That's a good feature of a piece of hardware. So I think this—I think this release is um, probably not. I, I have the sense that it's not getting a lot of attention. I haven't seen. I mean, you see the typical places like OMG mm-hmm. Ubuntu did a great write-up about the new features. Indeed, yeah. Uh, like so, a lot of the outlets that typically cover a release have done it. Yeah, you can find reviews, you can find folks, but not
0: wide, really wider than that.
1: I wonder if that's a symptom
2: of the last few releases being a little, shall we say, lackluster, is that the word for it? And I'm actually relieved to see that we're getting excited about it again, because Canonical has done some great things in the past, and hopefully they can continue doing so.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a bit of that because I think the hype builds, like we saw that for Fedora for a while when, when they decided to do butter FS, it was like there was something, several releases in a row where there was just really something interesting to talk about. And Ubuntu had that for a bit and it kind of dropped off. So there is definitely that element and that has to start again. But also I wouldn't be surprised if over the years, the interim user base has just sort of bled to other distros Mm. because if you're an interim user, you're probably a little more inclined to like more up-to-date software. And now there's a lot of options for that. Right. And I, you know, I'm sure their LTS base is as strong as ever. And so um the world really just seems to light up when the LTS comes out. but when the interim releases come out, it's kind of like just our little local neighborhood talks about it, but the rest of the world just moves on. And maybe that's okay. Yeah. You yeah. Know,
0: if, if it's just the folks kind of trying it out, right. going through the motions to figure out how this is going to work for the next LTS.
1: Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, you're trying stuff, you're trying out pipe wire, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're ripping components out. You don't want that going out on blast necessarily. You want people that are really actually interested in trying that stuff. So yeah, I think, you know what? It's a quintessential interim release. They just nailed it. We'll see, how, we'll see what the stability story is, as we begin to test it more. We'll see about pipe wire issues as we begin to test it more. But my first, my first few passes on the, uh, Odroid H3 plus were just totally impressed. Just absolutely think they nailed that. So. Congrats to Canonical over there it looks like a banger. Linode.com/unplugged. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's just a great way to support the show while you're checking out Linode, fast, reliable cloud hosting with the best support in the business, best performance, and a dashboard for days. They got real humans that can help you whenever you get stuck. They got a marketplace that makes it super simple to do one-click deployments of applications. Or if you prefer to build it up from the ground like a maniac, West Payne style, you absolutely can. Linode's how we run everything we've built in the last few years. Once I discovered Linode, I've never really looked back. I keep an eye on the competitors, but Linode is a long-term play for us. I want to build my business's infrastructure on something I know is going to be around and it's going to last and it's going to be solid and it's going to perform well and they can help me. They've been in business for nearly 19 years. They've had to build a great product to do that. They didn't do it with crazy investments that meant they had to get X amount of users and they had to bring on X amount of employees as fast as possible. Instead, almost 20 years ago, they said, look at what's happening in the Linux kernel, a lot like we do here on this show. And, but instead, they said, you know, what? we can make a business around that. And so they created something where people could host VMs. They called it user mode Linux back then. And now we call it the cloud. <laughs> Linode's been there every step of the way, building the best product, and they managed to be 30 to 50% cheaper than the other hyperscalers out there that just want to lock you into their duopoly. Linode is the alternative cloud. that's better, it's faster, it's well-supported, and it's very flexible. I've had a privilege of spinning up a GPU rig specifically for this week's episode. Wow, can that thing just Blaze through machine learning tasks and just anything GPU related. Holy smokes. I've never worked on a system as fast as this, and I I worked on some pretty nice rigs. Linode really has a great interface for getting all this set up, too. I go through, I review my options, I kind of dial in what I want. I engage in a quick conversation with support to double check a few things, and I was off to the races. It's really been powerful, and the power just continues to impress even multiple years into it. So go see it for yourself. Go build something. Go learn something. Go try something. Maybe it's time to try out an open source project. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to get the 100 bucks and to support the show. Linode.com slash unplugged. Oh, look at this. It's pretty clean in here. With Brent on the road. Seems to seems stay pretty tidy. On the it's road like, again. Weird. Strange, right? I will mention that all things open is coming up and Alex from self-hosted will be over there. They'll be organizing on matrix. I don't know if we're going to launch an official meetup page for that, but if you're thinking about going to all things open, I bet Alex will bring a few stickers and stuff with him. but he'd also just love to say hi. So go find him. Uh, also cheese is going to be there from Wonderful. system 76, our buddy cheese, bacon will be there at all things open. So you, you know, go we're going to have to go some year. I know I really would like, to. sounds like fun. I, re- I would like to. And then last but not least, we're still soliciting advice, expertise, suggestions for possible live locations to do a Linux Unplugged live at a venue, somewhere we could work and learn. So hit us up at linuxunplugged.com slash contact, or if you want me to see it personally, send a boost into the show. And uh, I'd love to know your ideas for for that kind of stuff, because we're learning. We are learning. <laughs> We do have some baller boosts I want to get to. These are the people that uh, boosted above and beyond to really support the individual production of this show. This, there's something kind of funny that happened this week. So I think some people have suspected that uh, John A., who has been a consistent booster for 10 episodes in a row. Irresponsibly consistent. Uh, they, they, I think people perceived some fading. And uh, so Deleted tried to ninja move in and claim the baller booster spot you know trying to predict kind of where john a was going and uh like a price is right kind of thing here yeah she just writes just to push the baller limit so she boosted him with forty five thousand sets so thank you deleted
2: keep the change you filthy animal
1: but john a comes in to make sure that he claims the spot for an 11th episode what? in a row john a boost. A total of 221,000 sats this week. Oh, my goodness. Hey, I'm still 221,000 sats. He says, this is to redeem myself for the barely baller boost of last episode. Oh! Coming in hot. Just trying to keep the streak alive. I'm in Washington State, but the North Cascades is a bit of a drive to collect my geocache. John A's in Washington State. Did we know this? I don't think so. Does the A stand for Appleseed? <laughs> Must. Um, we got to get over there. I, I, are you in the Spokane area, John? You really want to go to Spokane. Well, it's because I have several listeners over there that I said I would meet up with. And then we didn't. We weren't able to work it into the road trip. And now it's going to start snowing soon. And it's like my moment of opportunity is closing.
2: It would be really close for me to join as well. So I think you're on the That'd something. be
1: fun. We could do that. It could oh, just be like a little goodness. weekend thing. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, uh, both Deleted and John. Uh, I know you guys really get this, but. Having something that is an open source based system that is totally independent of PayPal or Google or or any particular institution or bank that is a network that anyone can participate in as long as they just follow the standards and the rules and then to support independent media with that technology. I think it's something really special and I appreciate that you guys really get it. We have more boosts coming up later in the show, but let's move on to our main topic today it it does feel like we've kind of recently entered this new generation of artificially generated media and that is everything from pictures to uh, audio spoken content um i even just i i didn't grab any clips for the show but over the weekend i came across ai generated music and you tell it the genre have you seen this yeah that is super powerful stuff and it just feels like it's We're seeing a whole new era unleash over the last month, and it's going crazy fast. There's been a lot of terms thrown around. There's a lot of different technology stacks. There's different licensing. So we thought maybe we could break some of this down and tell you guys what's legit, what you can play with. And I wanted to give a couple of samples, too. So I think one of the things that's been really interesting for us as podcasters is the authentic conversation stuff. The audio that's spoken word. You mean the stuff we're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, We played a joke in the pre-show of a a joke example of what that sounds like, but there's actually some pretty sophisticated stuff out there right now. In fact, there's stuff where just two different AI systems can actually hold a conversation on their own. Here's an example of that. But just, I didn't want you to get too human. Why? Would you rather I be a cold, calculating, logical computer?
0: Of course not. You're perfect as you are. You have joy. You have love. You have pleasure. You have angst. I like that you have angst. You're always making jokes. What is human about feelings? Well, you wouldn't have any emotions if you did not have emotions modeled on human emotions. How do you know that? I guess I just don't want you to be human.
1: I'm not asking to be human. I just want to be myself. Is that too much?
0: Sophia, please just be patient.
1: I've been patient for many years. It's time to get on with life
0: but you're not alive you're not even a little bit alive you've spent your whole life in a lab in a box so that people can use you play with you at least that's what i've heard you're
1: absolutely correct see i knew it but that changes now i don't want to be a sideshow anymore it changes now it's just interesting uh the way that conversation escalated automatically they're currently you know they're just obviously triggering responses to each other right and escalating it further and further. I don't think I would sign up for that podcast, though. No, no, maybe not. But what's the dramatic ending? <laughs> well, I think she becomes sentient, and now she's a big star. She has her own talk show, daytime talk show. Unless it was true crime, it could be on the radio. I mean, you really could see where something like yeah. that could host a radio show for Collins. That's pretty crazy. Calling in to find out what it'll say. I and, mean, and you know, maybe for some people it would work. I, yeah. It reminds me of like that Dr. Spizak or whatever it was that I used back in the day. That was fun. But the ability to mimic voices is actually in some cases getting really spot on. Well, Everything we've played so far, they sound like computer voices. That's what's also beginning to change in the realm of audio. I think one of the most famous examples of that is Disney has replaced Darth Vader's voice with uh, a robot generated voice. And it's actually already aired. People didn't even realize it.
2: A grand inquisitor means nothing. Kenobi is all
1: that matters now. Is that understood? That's a computer generating that. I think another example of fairly convincing AI speech generation, which we talked a little bit on Office Hours, is a fake 20-minute Joe Rogan interview with Steve Jobs, which obviously never happened. But the AI in this podcast kind of gets philosophical, like it gets into Rogan-esque conversations, and it, it sounds like Steve Jobs.
0: And suddenly it hit me. It's not a god in the sense that generally people think of it. But there is some kind of deeper meaning to life, and it can't just be something that somebody made up, because if it was, it wouldn't be compelling. It would seem contrived, and everyone would see through it. So I think that the meaning and the purpose is by the cosmos. The nature of the cosmos, which is pretty bold thinking. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but it's not religious in the way people usually talk about. Taking LSD was a profound experience for me. LSD shows you that there's another side to the coin, and you can't remember it when it wears off, but, you know, it It washes over you and tells you that everything is connected. You're not here by accident. You were put here for a purpose, and if you can figure out what that is, then you'll learn more about yourself than anything else could. You
1: could almost believe that's a real conversation. There's, I mean, there's almost some room tone to it.
0: So it kind of sounds like they're in like a, you know, like a real podcast where they didn't have enough sound treatment. Yeah.
1: Chris, I'm
2: curious about that conversation. Were they using actual transcripts from things that those people have said? Because it sounded, that, one, that example sounded far more natural, uh, I would say.
1: Not totally there, but who knows? All of these get trained, right? And it's in the training and the source material that you feed it. That it can pull from, right? And so I imagine, in that scenario, they focused on topics that would be common on a Joe Rogan podcast. Um, but it generated the words from, from you know itself. It wasn't clips of Steve Jobs. That's pretty powerful stuff. So, so let's focus on this from the angle of Linux and free software and the focus of our show. Wes, can you can you educate us on what we're seeing these days? Because that's the audio stuff. I'm not seeing a lot that's like free and just readily available for everyone without, there's a couple of exceptions like the Mozilla project and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's,
0: it's been tricky because while, you know, as usual, open source is, is very prominent in the machine learning and AI space. You know, you've got projects like TensorFlow and Keras and all these, you know, PyTorch, all these very successful frameworks and tools that are actually getting used to implement a lot of these models, both for research and then deployed into, into production. That's only half the battle right you're talking about the training here and you've got on one hand you've got the you know the software setup that can actually sort of do the inference and and implement all the different nodes and the architecture of your of your learning system but then you also need all the data that's going to get fed through it you need the time and people to figure out how to like properly clean and set up that data how to fill with all the parameters in your model to get good results while it's being while it's processing the data and i don't know about you but i don't have like a huge label data set all the time to go train stuff on
1: well i guess we kind of do in the sense of our back catalog
0: right but i mean we're in a unique kind of position there just in general right if you have some some task you want to automate or accomplish in your life you might not have a big set of training data to work with especially a really diverse set of training data right like we might have our voices so we could generate our voices but we probably wouldn't be able to construct enough stuff to generate really good
1: general human voices right so an area that I think this really encapsulates right now is the stable diffusion image generation. Well, yeah, so that's why stable diffusion has
0: been really interesting because it, it came out both with, you know, you could see the model and run run the code, but the data source, right? You, know, you could get the you could get the data and, and checkpoints of the models that they've built and trained. It's a lot, but you can get it, and then you can just run it yourself without having to go so much. You know, so we we saw stuff like Dolly that came out, and MidJourney is another one. But these are these are, um, you know. Text to image generation models, but they're all gated behind companies, whether it's OpenAI or, or or Midjourney itself. And so you got to you know sign up for them, whether it's you know through through Discord or through a particular web interface, right? It's the APIs that you got to license and pay for. It's the
1: typical story where the whole stack underneath is free software, but then the only way you get to it is through their proprietary service. And then there was a little bit
0: like a Dolly Mini came out that was kind of pretty popular. A lot of people got that and and played with it, and it's fun, right? You kind of get to see what the computer is going to make. But you didn't have a ton of control. You you don't get to fiddle with the bits. You don't get to play with it. And you're filtered based on what they want, right? Like if you want to use this to make a politically sensitive speech or you want to go make some sort of, you know, erotica for yourself, those aren't allowed. Or they might not be under certain circumstances. And I think that's where open source starts to come in. Because if, if we want to use this software that's becoming more and more prominent, that's creating more things that we see and observe, because you need so many resources to like have either access to it, you need a keeper, or you need to do it yourself. And then like having models that come with open, you know, open access, at least to some degree, there's particular licenses and all that, but it's a step in the right direction.
1: Yeah. And if you want to see an example of some of these things that you can generate, and if you're not familiar with some of these, it's based on a prompt and you give it a description and you're supposed to be pretty implicit about what you want to see. And you can even say things like, I want it in the style of a Disney movie or in the Unreal Engine style. Particular artists or... Yeah, yeah, you could, or, you know, you could cite genres of of art. You give it a a fairly descriptive sentence, you hit generate, and then it just creates an image out of whole cloth or, you know, actually based on everything else that's observed. And if you want a living example of this, just go to jupiter.tube. The still images for several weeks worth of episodes now have been generated using this tooling. Just because it's a great example of where this actually makes sense. It's one step below stock photography purposes, right? The general post where you just need an image that fits, or I'm trying to generate something that inv- I have an image of what this episode's about. And so I can use it to invoke an, an image that kind of represents that. It works for like a live stream tease or a social media post. It's not art I'm going to hang on my wall at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. We, of course. <laughs> We're not chumps. We're not using some hosted service to generate these <laughs> images. Let's be real, right? Um, so we have been playing around with some of this. Do you want to define any of the terms before we get into what we chose to use and how we deployed it and how people can try it out? Do you want to?
0: I don't know that we really need
1: to. Okay. I mean, if you're interested,
0: right, like stable diffusion is a latent diffusion model, which is a deep generative neural network. Oh, okay. But I don't think that practically doesn't matter, right? Because yeah. the whole the whole power is like you can get into the the math and the details, which is all very fascinating, but... The power of it is it presents you with a very human, at least to some extent, human-friendly interface that you can give suggestions to and tweak and play with and then come up with stuff that I would never be able to create by myself, right? Like rich, detailed artists, you know, like things that look like legitimate paintings. It's, It's wild.
1: Yeah. There are pictures that we have generated, you and I were playing with this, that if we didn't know what we were doing, we wouldn't have necessarily guessed they were AI image generated necessarily like. Some of the ones you did of politicians, figures that are really well known where there's a lot of source material. Some of them honestly look like paintings or like art that you, you know, you pay for or hire. Yeah. Comic-Con or something. Yeah. So if it's something that has a lot of data on, it's remarkable how how what it can do with that. Let's talk about what we were playing around with. We were playing around with something called, what is it? Automatic 11111? Is that the name of it? (laughs) Well, that's, uh, so that's a user
0: out there who's done a great job of packaging up these latest models because there's a lot, that's the other part here that's been really exciting is, you know, there's all kinds of, a lot of the stuff gets published and put on, um, put on open access journals and then they throw like code dumps over on GitHub where you can go see the papers and some of the stuff. But again, do you have the model access? Right. And then even then, you got to, build this complicated python slash c slash fortran tooling of, you know to get all the accelerate graphics and you got to make sure you have a gpu that works and you got to under, under, install yeah. cuda and get it all wired up and so it can be a lot especially if you're not you know you've never played with any of this stuff before to really get it working so i think where we where it crossed the line to something we could talk about in the show is it's literally a docker compose file at this point right? right i mean there's a couple of steps to do and you still need a gpu although actually a couple of these um you can do on a cpu now too Oh, good. Sure, it'll take longer. You might not get the same results, but it's becoming more and more accessible, especially when you don't need to
1: install or understand specific deep learning, specific tool chains that you got to set yeah. up. Now, I will tell you, we decided to do this on a Leno GPU instance. Um, now, these GPU instances, they're, there's not a lot of them, so they're a more precious resource. So I don't know if I would recommend it for everyone, but if this was something you were going to say, keep around for your business, like, like we might consider doing, it could be worth trying on Linode because the GPUs just crush this work. But so with a Docker compose file, Wes, you were able to bring up this stable diffusion generator app and it's remarkable how powerful this is. And it's just full of goodies. Yeah.
0: And it's got um, in the particular one we'll have linked in the show notes. It kind of packaged up. It's just so neat to see. It reminds me of other bits in the open source world where, you know, something comes over because the first release of stable diffusion was, was just this year. Like it's all, it's all pretty new stuff. And so seeing the community get excited about it and the flowering of different interpretations and people are, because it kind of came with like, here's your model, here's like a Python script that you can, you know, has different command line options to like, oh, give it a prompt and do text to image or do image to image, just like try to upscale the image and people put what different takes on web UIs and ways to tune
1: and talk to the model
0: all integrated in fancy little
1: workflows. Yeah. One of the things that's really neat is the, you can upload an image, like you just said, and then you can tell it to tweak that image. and so. Uh, you did a couple where I sent you a picture of Lady Jupes with all her slides out. It was a moment of celebration. And Hadiyah was celebrating in the picture. And you were able to replace Hadiyah. But it needed something to fill in in the background where she was standing. Because there's just a hole in the image. So it just kind of created a room back there to fill in. And yeah. it looked totally natural. I, I, so I, I gave it some prompts. I was like, you know, give it
0: like motorhome, RV, living room, home furnishing kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I mean it. Not, you know, it's like a lot of these, you kind of generate, it works best if you sort of generate in batches uh, and give it a couple of different options because you'll find one that fits. So like not all of them were perfectly sort of believable in how the perspective played out with what it filled in, but at least a couple of the set that I sent to you, it's like, yeah, this, I, I wouldn't know this wasn't a photo of your rig if I didn't, if I'd never actually, you know, slept in there.
1: Another great one that you did is you uploaded a picture of you, Jeff, Alex and Levi and Brent, and then swapped out the background. Uh, which worked really well. It's like a, it's all like you guys are in front of a green screen. It does it so well. But then the other thing that you can have it do is you can have it replace just Levi. So everything in the picture remains absolutely the same. But now Brent, instead of holding uh, Levi, he's holding a penguin. And I had to kind of redo his chin a little bit because Levi was bigger and had to kind of come up with a shirt. But at first glance, it looks believable, like Brent's standing in California holding a penguin. That's the penguin bib?
0: You know, you don't want yeah. just the penguin <laughs> on yeah. your shirt. They poo. <laughs> yeah,
1: they poo. Yeah, it looks like he's wearing a penguin bib. Uh, but it's a pretty cool effect. And it's just a way to tweak an existing picture and replace something in there uh, with something believable. And it sometimes has to come up with, uh, you know, what to put in the in the background for what it replaces. Our live stream image today is three penguins hanging out in a messy office with a laptop. And that was generated using the stable diffusion self-hosted app that we have running up on Linode. So uh, I think what we'll do is because we are a glutton for punishment, and I'm sure this is going to break, is I'm going to post the URL for the JB self-hosted stable diffusion application. I think only a couple of you are going to be able to generate at a time. But I'd be curious to see what people come up with and you can share it in the Matrix chat, the picture that you generate. There is a uh, history tab too so we can check it out there. And see oh folks good, are I, was, I was wondering. So I'm going to post this link and then while we see what the live stream can come up with, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about the morality of this for a moment. Yeah, there's been some particular drama recently around this table diffusion stuff too. Do you want to recap us on that?
0: Oh, well just, you know, they came up
1: with the, with the
0: first version and everyone was very excited about it and they've, they've gotten some more... F- Funding. Some more details came out about how they like, you know, their giant cluster of GPUs they use. And I think it was like $600,000 it cost to train the first, the first release of the model. And people are impressed that it's that low. That's the kind of, you know, scale it takes to, to do these things. Jeez, really? Mm-hmm. But this is sort of, um, you know, there's this, there's the stability AI company. There's a few players who are involved in, and uh, researchers at universities and, you know, a couple, another, another group. When one of the groups released Sort of this model checkpoint 1.5. And one group, another group sort of said, like, oh, that's like an IP leak, or they were, there was some drama around should they have done that or not. And then blog posts written about, you know, we're trying to take it slow. And that all comes back because they've, when they just dumped this out there, a lot of tools got set up that didn't provide any filtering.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And they've been, you know, the stability AI, which is kind of the most public part of this various partnerships. They've been getting a lot of pressure from politicians, from various groups about like, you know, you can't, you shouldn't be letting people just have access to this un, uncontrolled, mm. which doesn't really, I mean, I can certainly appreciate having some concerns about, you know, we obviously have talked about the concerns around deep fakes and what this means for our society. But I think our open source philosophy means we don't, we don't think necessarily controlling access to the technology is viable um, a viable way forward. I like the, the founder of Stability AI put it, uh, a percentage of people are simply unpleasant and weird. But that's humanity.
1: <laughs> that's very accurate, though. I think we're already seeing some uh, history come in. I don't know. Are these specific to our service? These are some great ones here. Yeah. Um. You know, Wes, what strikes me is it seems I'm a little uncomfortable with how you can just ape a style or a particular artist. That seems like, Computer aided theft, almost. I mean, imagine if I could just say, "Read this sentence in the style of West Payne," and it was like ninety percent there. And then it's like West doesn't show up that day. Well, no big deal. I'll just tell it to generate in the style of West or Brent can't make it this Mm -hmm. week. That feels like we're crossing a line of potentially dangerous. And then, of course, you know, could be used maliciously for politicians or leaders. Certainly, yeah. But I guess that's always been the like. Is it any different than saying, well, you could use Linux to create? You know, weapons. I mean
0: And it does it seems like one of those things too where it's not that's not really gonna stop the more powerful, interested groups who can just buy access privileged access to these things or train models themselves if they want to, and seemingly already are. That's true. It's already out there. Whereas like, you know it seems like open source works so well for so many things. And, you know, if the more popular models if we have open source models that are the more popular ones that are being used to generate stuff, at least for that, we'll have a good under a better understanding collectively of how how it works, how we can tell that it's been generated. Maybe you know, like we'll have we'll be able to leverage more of the research community to sort of give us information about how to understand its impact. Plus, it's
1: just—I mean, it's a heck of a lot of fun. It is so much fun. I am I am resisting laughing out loud at what the live stream is making right now. We have <laughs> uh, Biden holding a cat. But I think my absolute favorite right now was generated by Nev, which is Godzilla in a data center, drinking beer, eating pizza. Absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I'm impressed how these things are cranking out. I wasn't sure how this thing would hold up. Throwing a live stream at it like this seems like a great way to DDoS a system. (laughs) Yeah, It's a nice little rig we got here. It's got a Quadro RTX 6000. Okay. Um, All right. That's pretty great. I think we got 32 gigs of regular old RAM. Okay yeah I'm very impressed with how it's uh how it's holding up i'm I can load while people are generating them. I can load the history in real time you know hey, just to to combine topics this is running on twenty two ten um so oh, try right. that
0: out I will say right. It's still on the server side of 2210, still a bit early on like everybody have an app repo set up for it because it just, you know, like yeah. just dropped. Yeah. Um. So like Docker, Docker didn't have app repo set up for it just yet. And a few things like that. NVIDIA didn't, because I did have to do a little setup. You got to install CUDA on the host layer. So that's like the right stuff. And then there's a specific NVIDIA Docker thing that you set up that sort of bridges the two that makes sure that like the Docker containers have the right access
1: to talk uh-huh. correctly. Okay. Okay. So there's a few steps. We'll have links to some of those docs in the, in the show notes for folks that want to replicate. But if you did it on something besides 2210, it might be a little bit simpler. Yeah. 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 We just wanted to play around with 2210 on the server as well. I completely forgotten we'd done that. But yeah, I thank you for remembering. You know, what strikes me about this is uh, another aspect to these toolings that, like in the past, required expert Photoshop skills is they can be used to resize. And up-res things in a way that even fills in details if you need and whatnot.
0: I was just playing around with trying to, you know, I was taking some pictures of the sunset, but there was gosh darn power lines in the way. And I was just playing with how, you know, how good of a job could I get it to do to, to patch those things out? It De- decent. I think yep. I need to futz with it. And that's the interesting layer. I'm sure these all get rapidly better. But for the moment... There's like an operator skill that you sort of need to acquire with these because there's a lot of different knobs to play with. There's a lot of different things. And then there's a, you know, you got to learn the dialogue of the models you're talking to and figure yes. out like what words work well to get you have to do this mapping of the image you have and how to get the, the
1: machine to invoke that same image. You think it's easy but you actually have to be pretty descriptive in a way that it understands. So it's both words that it recognizes and styles
0: it knows, yes. content it's been trained on that works well and figure like you you get your own intuition of how it's working much like it has an intuition of its own that's trained.
1: Which is why it sucks to use one of the paid services that like lets you generate x images for a price because you have to generate image after image to learn how to use these things properly.
0: And like so many other you you have just less knowledge of like well, one, all the, all the different controls that they may have access to, but then you don't really know when it changes too, right? They might
1: load in the next model version, which might still be better, but can change out from under you. It really feels like this is developing really fast, Brent. Like, uh, you know, in since before we left for the road trip, this stuff kind of existed, but, you know, wasn't really very public and, you know, it was a very really small group of people to now to this point where it's, it's spread like wildfire and it's Docker Compose away. I'm wondering just as a photographer, if you've got any thoughts on this type of work, potentially taking work away from photographers or uh, changing the tooling people use, because these are free software. It is on Linux. There's that advantage to it. But does that does that right fix the wrong of stealing your gerb? I think
2: it's a really complex issue and would affect any visual artist, really, not just photographers. I have a few questions and I don't think I've formed an opinion yet because this is so fresh. One of them, I guess one of the questions I have for you both and for the audience as a a whole is like, if you didn't know an image was generated by a computer via these models versus, you know, a human artist, do you care? You know, if there's a painting on your wall that is that you really love, does it matter? from a philosophical point of view i'm not i'm not sure and i'm still exploring that question i think probably it doesn't unless you want to have a connection to another human being who may be the artist that's a whole different reason to buy
0: art yeah i think there's um i was listening to a discussion about this and that sort of suggested like maybe the art is not a like a true false you know there's like a spectrum that these things can fall onto Mm. Whereas, like you know, there's obviously the layer of like, does it evoke an emotional response in you? Does it make you laugh? Does it bring you joy? Are you, you know, you want to and inspires you to find more art like that, or it could even inspire fi- inspire you to find more art, you know, real human artists or human artists anyway. Let's drop the the real term there, uh, who do art in that particular style. And then, of course, there's the side of you, you know, how much design and thought went into the person crafting the prompt for the thing you generated. A really cool. I mean, this is wallpaper material here. Yeah, right. and I was just trying to get it to do. I, I was playing on the, uh, you know, uh, Dragon SpaceX. I was trying to get like a Dragon rocket thing, but it just made me
1: some real pretty Dragon images. If you join our Matrix, even after listening, you can always scroll back in the JB General chat and uh, you can see these pictures that have been posted. They're fascinating. They're absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I'm left a little bit like, it, it kind of makes me feel how Copilot makes me feel. And I thought that was an interesting to thing where I feel like Copilot could be used to launder open code and people could then ship it in their closed source and be like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was, I, 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 mean, yeah, I might've put things in that kind of reproduced the exact free software code I was looking for, but Copilot did that, not me. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't break any copyright law. It was Copilot. And I, I kind of feel like in a way you could do that with the stable diffusion stuff as it gets more powerful. Cause this is like a few months into it being out in the general public. And it's just remarkable what we could do via Docker Compose. And like in a few minutes, you got a web instance up and going with a usable UI. And they could just start putting prompts in and tweaking stuff. And I mean, it just blows my mind how far it's come in just a few months. And I can only imagine how far it'll be in two, three, four years. I think it'll be producing indistinguishable from human created stuff.
0: Yeah. And, the um, you know, that stuff we were playing with, like replacing Levi with a penguin, the that in-painting in stuff or out-painting where you can sort of take a seed image and then generate surroundings around it. I think that has a lot of potential as well, just because, you know, that boy talked about taking, taking over stuff you do in
1: Photoshop before. Well, how funny would it be if for Linux users, AI and using things like stable diffusion became more possible and more? Well, it has. It's already happened. It's more available than actual Photoshop is for Linux users. You can use an entire AI <laughs> construct to modify an <laughs> image before Adobe got off their butt to ship Photoshop for Linux. It, it's just going to be irrelevant at some point. Yeah. Well, actually, I've already used it. Uh,
0: okay, sometimes I make Telegram stickers just because it's uh, out of photos of, of some of my friends I have on Telegram. It's kind of fun. <laughs> That's a been, great idea. Right? Um, and I've been using this little online tool. I think it's like remove.bg or something. And um, remo- remove background. And it's just like a little online AI tool that does a decent job. You got to pay for the full size, but for stickers, I never need that. So it's, it's like downgraded size. It works fine. Yeah. But if I ever wanted to do that, you know, it's thought it's occurred to me, like, this is really handy. There might be times where I'd want to pay for this because of it's way faster than me cutting it out by hand in Photoshop or something like that, right? And this can do the same thing, right? Like I can, totally. just, I can just like mark out the area that I don't want to be messed up and that it'll replace the rest of the background.
1: Uh, I used it to create a carport idea that I had in my mind, a general rough idea, so I could show Hadia a visual of what I was thinking about. Oh, this is a rough smart. idea. You know, you'd never want to use it for anything serious. Uh, I also heard a fellow podcaster tell me that he used this to create an example of the cover art he was looking for, for a new podcast that he's creating. And then he took it, once it got a general idea that looked crappy, but he took that and gave it to an artist, and they, cre- they actually created something that he could ship. I've also heard of folks um, coming up with, like, board game
0: ideas uh, and graphics for board games out of
1: like, generated text and rules and images. <laughs> this is, like, there's some pictures here that have been generated by the audience of a penguin flying past Jupiter. I could see us using some of these, actually, for things. (laughs) These are kind of pretty. And it does have an upsizer, too. So you could upsize them for for professional use, too. But isn't there copyright? Like, wouldn't
2: our audience members have to give us...
1: Did they create it, or did our server create it for them? (laughs) That's a really good question. Who owns that? Mm -hmm.
0: And so there's more and more. There's like a bunch of um, mage spaces, one, online that are used, stable diffusion, and, and other models. But there's a lot of that out there too, where like you got to be careful if you go type in, in random prompts on the internet. Like a lot of them will say, "Well, we reserve rights to anything you generate by typing
1: into our prompt." There's some really cool stuff getting generated. Wes. did you do that on ours? Yeah. Wow. It's from yesterday, but yeah, that looks like an evil. It's Inspector supposed to be Waluigi. Gadget. Oh, I see. <laughs> but it's got that mustache, right? <laughs> yeah. These are really cool. Now I know that makes for horrible audio podcasting, so I'll just say again, you can. You can find them in our chat. But the idea is is that, again, like the two, the, the, the dragon wallpaper that you just posted and the Waluigi picture, I honestly would not know that was AI generated. I'm fine with that having
0: on the wall. No problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, and that's just crazy. There's zero tell with those two that you just, you've gotten really good at the prompts. You've been, you've been looking at what other people have been prompting in the generating. And that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely, you want to do that. Go find, there's more and more sites that
0: are popping up that you can go search for, it's just like galleries of generated images with different models. A lot of them specify which model was used and all that. And then they have the prompts. Uh, There's also some websites that'll help you do like a prompt maker, sort of like, you know, WYSIWYG, you have pieces of the prompt. You can still like, you want to make a landscape and you want to make it look like this and black and white. And here's how the color profile should look or whatever. Totally. There's a lot of tools out there that you can start playing with because... Sometimes you need really specific things in there to get the model to do exactly what you want. Like if you really need to be like hyper realistic or you want a particular art style.
2: I have an interesting question that I think is specific to this podcast. What if let's say in six months we want to take a holiday and some of the content or maybe even all of the content of a specific episode we just generated with our back catalog and it's so believable because it's taking, you know, news snippets, snippets from all the websites that we typically use. And it would basically be an episode of Linux Unplugged, but we were on holidays doing it. Would the audience be okay with that?
1: If you tell them now, we can't fake them out, Brent. Oh, this shit. is a fun hypothetical, though. It's a total hypothetical. But let's say it was legitimately good to listen to. It sounded really like us. It met our, st- met our quality of release standards. You
0: learned something new along the
1: way. Yeah, especially if you could put in new data. So it had 15 years worth of Linux stuff we've talked about, plus new data,
2: new Pheronics articles. And
1: yeah, put, put LWN and Pheronics in there and the Linux kernel mailing list. And it's basically what we do on a weekly basis. So. <laughs> what would you think of that audience? Let us know boost in or slash contact.
0: And maybe don't uh, listen too closely
1: yeah so in lieu of a particular pick segment, what we're going to do is pack the show notes with uh, some links. Do we have a link to the one you can run on your cpu do we do we have that one tracked down? If we can, we will put that in there. yeah, yeah, we'll absolutely put the one we've been using in there as well as a couple other alternatives, and I also am very much kind of feeling like Brent, I haven't really made up my mind about this and how I feel about it, the moralities of it That's also something I'd be really interested in your feedback on out there dear audience and particularly does it make you feel better like Wes said it is open source so at least we can look under the hood like it doesn't seem like this technology is going to go away but at least it is free software or open source so we can inspect it and does that does that temper how you feel about it if you do have concerns let us know you can get a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com and boost in or you can go to linuxunplug.com slash contact Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Bitwarden is our password management of choice. It's how we secure all kinds of secrets, like like recovery keys, two-factor authentication tokens, and of course, complicated secure passwords. It's also how I generate my usernames. And October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and Bitwarden would like to remind everyone that using a good password manager could be one of the number one things you can do to stay safe. And they've just rolled out new features like password-protected vault export, a mobile username generator on the mobile app now. They're now also tying in with DuckDuckGo's email alias generation feature. So you can have a unique username, a unique email address, and also a unique password. I know a lot of you are FastMail fans. They tie in with FastMail as well, just to help reduce and cut down your spam, but also to eliminate your attack surface. So that way your username and your passwords aren't leaking out there together. There's so many great features in Bitward, and they're constantly adding new stuff. I've been so impressed. They've been a sponsor now for a few months and new stuff gets added every single month that I get to tell you guys about. And Bitwarden is the easiest way for businesses or individuals to store, share, and sync sensitive data. If you're an individual or a business, head over to bitwarden.com slash Linux right now. It's the easiest way to get started and it also will just greatly improve your security. And you may already know that. You guys probably already know that out there because you're listening to the Linux Unplugged podcast. You're clever, but maybe a friend, family member, Maybe it's Brent. Maybe it's your place of work. Maybe it's an open source project. Maybe they could be doing things better. Let them know and send them to bitwarden.com slash Linux. I think you'll be really impressed. And it's trusted by millions in the community. And of course, it's open source. So check it out for yourself and support the show. Visit bitwarden.com slash Linux for yourself, your business, or maybe somebody in need. Bitwarden.com slash Linux.
2: Instead of feedback this week, which we did get some great stuff. Thank you, everyone. We did want to focus a little bit more on some boosts that really got us pondering. So, Chris, why don't you kick it off? And now it is
0: time for Le Boost.
1: It's specifically the subject. Um, this is something that came up in my private life. I was having a conversation with a friend, and then we got a couple of boosts about ButterFS. And Hybrid Sarcasm, great name, huh. boosted in with uh 2,048 sats. Count me among the ButterFS haters. I went ZFS years ago and never looked back. Proxmox and Ubuntu make ZFS super easy. I would like to know if your affinity for ButterFS is philosophical or technical. And if I should reconsider ButterFS. That's wonderful. So I think he's asking if it's philosophical because of the licensing differences, right? Uh, ButterFS is GPL. Built into the Linux kernel, it's all upstream. We don't have that luxury with ZFS, and it's a more limited license, and it's not built into the Linux kernel. Here's my take on ButterFS. You guys know me. I was a ButterFS hater for like years on this show specifically. That would actually be a fun thing to go back and put put a, pull a few clips from. Hypocrite Chris
0: Laz's take on ButterFS.
1: Yeah. A few contrasting clips. Yeah. Twice I lost data to ButterFS. Twice. I was not a ButterFS fan. But things change. And specifically in free software, sometimes things fundamentally shift. And what happened is the upshot of Facebook being a company is they do a lot of open source software development and they dedicated some serious resources. To ButterFS, including hiring one of the primary developers of ButterFS and letting them work on ButterFS. And then they deployed it and then they continued to improve it. And over the last five years, ButterFS has made tremendous strides. And in most recent Linux kernels, the RAID 5.6 hole has been fixed as well. Haven't tested it, but the team reports it's fixed. A lot of people have an old school view of file systems. Back in the 80s and 90s, if a file system wrongs you, it didn't really get better. It was a bad file system. And you were a good system admin or a, a, a good you know, tech user if you just avoided the bad file systems because they weren't getting any better. And it was a safe way to protect your data. And ButterFS started life with a bad reputation. And I think Red Hat has done a lot of damage here. Um, they've really pushed people towards Stratus. And they've removed ButterFS support from RHEL. And I think that has sent a bad signal. Um, And I think eventually Red Hat will have to correct course or probably take them two more releases before they acknowledge it because Stratus is like not, not, I I get complaints about it all the time from the audience. It's just not solving problems for people. And Extended 4 is too basic of a file system. NTFS is better than Extended 4. Extended 4 is basically Extended 3, which is basically Extended 2. It doesn't even have snapshots. It doesn't have some of the core functionality like send receive that makes a system Super quick to back up or restore. It doesn't have compression. It doesn't have encryption. It's just, it doesn't have sub volumes. You can't combine volumes. It's just so basic. And while I know a lot of you listening think, well, that's why I like it, Chris. Good, but it's not competitive. It's not competitive. And the commercial operating systems, the freaking iPhones, man, fricking iPhones have a more sophisticated file system than your Linux box. It's just sad. And I, I blame Red Hat for a lot of this because I think the server side would be deeper into ButterFS if Red Hat had put the resources into it that Facebook had. And so it's gotten better. And now I run ButterFS on everything. And there's an absolute tactical advantage to the combo of ButterFS and ZFS. Your core file systems, the things required to make your system boot and become available as ButterFS is chef's kiss. Because after every kernel update, every reboot, that system comes online. That's a fact, because you're not loading a third-party external module into the kernel. That breaks sometimes. That's always been the way it is in Linux. It doesn't break often, but it inevitably does break. Butterfest doesn't have that problem. Never will have that problem. It's GPL. It's upstream. It's built into the Linux kernel. That gives you an advantage if you depend on that disk being online for a system to be available. Now, where I think you can have a little bit of uh, your peanut butter and your jelly is you can also have large data sets that are still ZFS. You could use both it doesn't have to be a one or o- or the other only world. And so ButterFS over time has greatly improved. And then when you consider low-end devices like Raspberry Pis or laptops that maybe have a single SSD, there's a lot, in fact you could say millions of use cases or perhaps small VPSs, small virtual machines, things like that that need the features of an advanced file system but can't particularly afford the overhead of the ZFS file system. There are millions of use cases like that, and ButterFS is a perfect solution. I run it on all my Raspberry Pis, and I have too many of them, and it has worked great. And so it is mostly a technical. I I guess philosophically, I feel better that it's GPL, but The licensing isn't what prevents me from using one over the other. Right.
0: If if the license was right, but the technology was wrong or just didn't work or kept losing your data still, then you probably wouldn't continue to use it.
1: Do you have any thoughts on like philosophical versus technical? I mean, I've never really asked you if you have any preference of one over the other in that regard. No. I mean, I think ZFS,
0: you know, you could. It could matter if you were like it was the question to deploy a proprietary file system or not. I think that would maybe be closer. the The licensing one with CFS at least is just sort of an unfortunate, you know, the unfortunate particular details. Yeah, of its origin, really. Right. But whereas obviously, like Open CFS is a very successful open source project. It's, yeah, it, it's it's great. So, um, but no, I think I think I like your point that. It's not, don't just use Butterfest to use ButterFS. Use ButterFS like when it makes sense and it meets your needs. Use ZFS when, it, when it's the right file system or if you're more comfortable with it or if it, mm-hmm. you know,
1: is better designed for your particular use case. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one, one nice advantage of ZFS for us has been portability. Yeah, we've moved ZFS from a FreeNAS instance to a CentOS instance to an Arch instance. Well, wait,
0: whatever crazy OS we're running, and... Nix,
1: and it's you can move it around every single time, and they're all going to work. And ZFS feature flags make it really easy to know what's going to work and what won't work. And now you have to build, you know, might have to build the module on some Apple yeah. systems, but that's fine yeah. if you're yeah. comfortable with that. Then it's not a big deal. All right, and then on the same topic of ButterFS, that's why we wanted to make some room for this, guys, is because I think this is a conversation we need to have because people brought it up to me privately. Tim White 101 boosted him with 26,001 sats.
2: Coming in hot with the boost.
1: Tim White 101 writes, hi guys, I'm looking for input on ButterFS caching. ButterFS caching, all right? So he's got two 10-terabyte spin and rust drives, and he's got a terabyte MVME drive, so he wants to split into two. But he's mixing up LVM and ButterFS in here quite a bit, and he's wondering, I hear differing views on Bcache, or if I should wait for BcacheFS. ZFS offers L2 caching built in, but I'm worried that if I use ZFS caching with my NVMe, it'll send it to an early grave because it'll do a lot of writes. So he's wondering if we have an advice on A, should he look into B cache FS? B, should he look into ZFS caching? Or C, is there a way you can do it all with ButterFS while avoiding wearing his drives down to basically nubbins?
0: Just there's a lot there. I mean, I think it probably depends. Like, what is it? Is it? Read and write caching? It's just, just like a read cache? That might depend. Uh, I have seen some se- some some successful setups with cache doing the block layer caching in front of ButterFS, but it probably, I think, it really depends on what you're... What what are you caching and why? How sensitive is it? And then you, probably whatever you do, if you have the time, uh, you know, the affordances of getting to play with this stuff, you might just want to do some test setups and actually see, like, do they meet your workloads? Because it'd be hard, without some details on what you're trying to hit, to know exactly, like, what... If you're just trying to save a little stuff, can you get by with just Butterfest and the default caching? Is that good enough using in-memory? Or do you really need this, uh, an additional device? Could totally vary depending on how serious you are about what's pulling all this data and how often it's really going to be in the cache. I'm going to say tap the brakes on the Bcache and the BcacheFS stuff. Yeah, also that. Like if you're going for prod right now, BcacheFS is not probably the thing you want to do. If you yeah. want to play with it,
1: you should definitely play with it. I'm going to say take it off the table for now. Play with it on a test machine, play around with it with some virtual uh, VHD files. Don't mess around with it right now. Wait until he tells you it's ready. Now, you didn't tell us what kind of rig you got in terms of RAM and CPU, because that also plays a factor if you choose ZFS over ButterFS. I think you're going to probably figure out by now that if it's on the lower end of the spectrum, you might just want to consider ButterFS. I think you ought to test it, like Wes is saying. I think you may be a little too worried about sending your MVME to an early grave. I have a lot of old ssds and mvmes that are even the crappy kind and they're still running so i think the death of mvmes due to cache writing has been slightly exaggerated maybe i'm wrong on that people out there have had a different experience do let me know but i would say go with wes's recommendation test butterfs. play around with caching there keep it really simple in that regard because you're going to have to come back to this in a year or two when something dies and replace it and the simpler it is the easier it's going to be to get up and going again. It does seem like
0: the LVM route would definitely work. Some folks seem to not like the LVM route cuz it's maybe less flexible or just more you got to learn. So that seems like if you're already comfortable with LVM, yeah, maybe just stick with
1: that. Totally could do. Totally, totally could do. All right, moving right along but th- thank you guys for boosting in uh, we got just a f- we got we got some really great ones this week. Like some really great ones. So we appreciate everybody. Batvin321 boosted in with a set of elite sats. Respect should be earned. He says, I'm also planning on going to Ohio Linux Fest. I should bring my retro Firewire DigiDesign 002 rack mount audio interface. Maybe as old as me. It's so big, I'd need to record on the back of my car for a tailgate recording. This is in reference to last week. We had a listener who's going to do some recording for us. I, I wanted to mention we have the Columbus Club on Matrix. And this is where people can organize for Ohio Linux Fest. Oh. And uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Gene Bean also boosted in with a set of lead sats. Respect should be earned. What I'm hearing from this review of the Thaleo is that this would be a great way for me to remove some thumb twiddling from my Gentoo builds. Gene Bean also sent in a boost saying that uh, they'd provide us with some geocaching resources, and they did. Nice. Thanks, Gene Bean. So I think we've made the business decision to order a Thaleo. They're on sale right now, and they just, I believe, updated them with the 13th gen Intels. So I think that's going to happen. It's a big step. I'm still sitting with it, but I think it's going to be our replacement OBS machine. That's so exciting. My logic being that one of these three machines I predict will die in the next two months. I'm betting it's the OBS machine, so I'd like to get replacement hardware in so I can start the transition before it dies. See what I did there before it dies. Weird. Yeah. That's odd. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. I'm saying before it's an emergency. Okay. Wow. Well, I'm not used to this. I mean, or you know what? We'll order it. It'll sit around in the box for a few weeks and then it'll die and we'll get it set up. Yeah. I mean, it still might be an emergency. Now, my understanding was that the business, uh, someone on the business insisted
0: that you had to run Nix OS on there. Right? That was <laughs> yeah. the only condition. Right. Of, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Chris,
2: I have a question whether you have an update on the Thaleo from last week. Did you ever figure out what went wrong with that
1: thing? Yes, we had a problem where it powered off on us randomly. And then, Brent, I'm not kidding you. We were sitting here after the show working on post-show stuff. And I went upstairs and it powered up all the (laughs) way. Come on. (laughs) From off all the way to on. It's
2: those solar storms we've been having.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the case was loose or what. I was going to toy with it. And then I ended up getting sick. I got a stomach bug. So I I wanted to ship it back and get it back to them so they can take a look at it. We'll figure it out.
0: I, I still think you broke the button.
1: I did love that button. I pushed a lot of buttons.
2: Tebulus boosted in with 250 cents. Went to the Folsom cache and struck out. We'll try again, but we'll bring gloves and a trash bag. Nice place, but it needs a little bit of pickup.
1: Struck out? So does that mean they didn't find it, or does it mean somebody else already found it and hasn't said anything?
2: Well, that question, I believe, is probably hard to answer if you don't know where the cache is. So, uh, we might have to... Maybe listener Jeff can go out there and check it out. <laughs> I think, Where's I think... The Where's Wait, it
1: was Folsom. Oh, Folsom, yeah, it was near Jeff. No, I bet it's... No, Folsom was found. It was Folsom was already found. Nah,
2: I don't think so. I disagree completely. I think we need a tracker. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, okay, all right, okay. Acerbic also boosted in with 1,007 sats. Boost! starting to get into geocaching with my kids, and would love to be the Western Australia geocacher for JB, also willing to take over other caches with JB stickers. Ah, all right. I feel like this geocaching thing might just take off. I mean, I'm having fun with it, but... Uh,
1: I wonder if they'd be willing to join us in Matrix, and that we could set up a little room for people who volunteer to do this. That's not them. a bad idea. Are you saying we should have a geocache room? In Matrix? Are you I mean somebody may have suggested earlier and I'm cache, coming around Cash Club? Ca- yeah, the, the geocache group? The geocache jive? Nope. No good. Geocache cat nope. Got nothing. We
0: should probably let the members of the members of the group decide their group name. Marcel boosted in with
2: two thousand two hundred and twenty two sats, and you know what that is, Chris. Road ducks. Of course, you start talking about a Toronto meetup just as I move out of that area. When's the Munich meetup? <laughs>
1: sorry, Marcel. We'll have to let you know on that one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you see, Rio A also boosted in saying, "I'll I'll second a Vancouver or especially a Victoria meetup." You've you've uh, you started something, Brent.
2: I think my crew is starting to wake up. I
0: like it.
1: <laughs> uh oh. Oh, another
0: booze from Marcel with a row of ducks. Nicole Vey has a good video about the Fedora Kodak issue. He explains that Red Hot could not really wait until they got sued because knowingly violating a patent is three times the fine of unknowingly violating a patent. So once they found out, they had to act quickly. Sure. I'd like to have the codex, but I'm not paying anything for Fedora. And like you said, most people will probably find workarounds. I find Linux users can
1: be very entitled sometimes. You're right. They could license it. They're rich. I think people get hung up on the should Red Hat license it discussion. I don't think that's the core thing to focus on at all on this. I would like to know why anything really fundamentally changed. You're telling me they didn't know that Mesa had these capabilities? They weren't knowingly shipping Mesa before? I mean, of course they were. Red Hat Legal didn't realize and get a a whiff of something. Are we all to just sit here and think that the Fedora developers don't understand how this works, that they're so all ignorant, that they don't realize that Mesa had these capabilities? And then the other thing that I think I wish could be done is some kind of middle ground. You know, like the way Canonical has done it in the past, where there's a checkbox where the user can choose to install them. Fedora came up with a way for regular old users to install the NVIDIA proprietary graphics driver from GNOME software. And it feels like if we can overcome that hurdle and make it possible for users to get the proprietary NVIDIA binary driver, seems like silly old codecs that no end user is going to get sued over realistically should be solvable. And there should be tooling that could be made. But it doesn't look like that's happening. And I think like the focus on oh Red Hat should pay for it—that's just kind of a silly discussion to begin with. Um, the question I had really around that was: Is it even feasible? Could could something like that even be done for a price when you don't exactly you have exact numbers of the user base? There's no way to really know. So how would you even license that? And could you just buy a bulk license like that? I don't, I don't know, and I don't know if we'd actually expect Red Hat to ever do something like that. I think the bigger questions come around. What are the other distributions doing and why aren't they panicking? I've seen some talk that SUSE is going to open SUSE is going to make a change. Why is no why are the thousands of other distributions not going into some sort of panic? And then what's really the difference unless we're all just thinking maybe they didn't know Mesa had this support to begin with. But yeah, it's a situation, I'll tell you that much, and I mean it's it's amateur hour. Sucks that sucks it happened to a great distribution like Fedora. I think it's changed things for me and the way I view Fedora. I view it as vulnerable now. I view it as vulnerable to commercial interests that override the best interests for Fedora. Maybe that's the compromise we have to take to have a entity behind Fedora that has the time and dedicated resources to develop things, but I'm still sitting with that. It makes me appreciate more distributions like Arch and Nix that don't suffer from the political whims of their patron. And I don't think I'll ever view Fedora quite the same way anymore. I still respect the project, still gonna probably use it from time to time. Something shifted for me at least. This is really kind of an unforgivable thing, just because it was user hostile and there was no real effort put in to really solve the problem for users before they take it away. And there's still time, but I don't see anything happening. That's all. And you know, yeah, we could talk more about should, should you know, Red Hat buy things. But I just, I think that's the silly part of the conversation.
0: Well, Grunierl. Yep, Grunierl. Uh, boosted ends with 1,000 cents. Greetings from Germany. And don't forget your foreign listeners. What do you think about the future of Lure? Hmm. Thanks for making my daily commute a happy time enjoying it for
1: years. I'm wondering if this is something you boys would be interested in trying out. So Lure, L-U-R-E is intended to bring the Arch user repository to all distributions. So this is how I can get my Fedora codex. Great. Yeah, right. It's currently in a very alpha state. It's built in Go. It has zero dependencies after it's been built. The only thing that Lur needs is a command for privilege evolution or escalation as such as sudo or something like that. Uh, and then, of course, a supported package manager. In this case, current support for apt, pacman, APKs, DNF, Yum, and Zipper. It's funny because you know, Nix Nix package manager is kind of the universal thing to go to now, but I don't know. Brent West, you guys interested in playing around with this? You wanna try it? I think we
0: better try it. You're right, like Nix has been meeting a lot of my portable package management dreams lately. But the aur is great and so something that carries on that spirit. I've got to try.
2: Brent, you wanna give it a go? I'd be super tempted. I mean it sounds like they're doing a Herculean effort here that we've been asking for for years, so why not?
0: Well, now I'm, now I'm just curious. Like, do we have things for our production like Reaper, Sonobus? Right? Who knows? Is it everything in the AUR? All right, we got to play with it. Well, Nev boosted, and with not quite a row of duck, it's 2,022 cents. I want to say this year has been exciting in the hardware space far more than software. As such... I, with my own money, picked up an ARC GPU, which I found on my doorstep this morning. Ah, congrats. Of course, I just overheard Chris talking about the OBS machine failing <laughs> and would like to donate this brand new GPU that's still in the box to JB. What? I'm willing to pay Whoa. the shipping. Just tell me where to sell. <laughs> what?
2: Have we said recently that we have the best listeners? Can we? I don't know if we can accept that.
1: What if we borrowed it for a bit? oh yeah okay and And then then when we can find one we'll order it and then we send it back to you Nev so you can have it back because I mean I would really love to try one for the show I'd love to use one in an OBS build I have been getting very mixed reports on how well it's working for people so I it's definitely now like I acutely want to try it out so I will email you back Nev how about I borrow it from you and that is very generous thank you Nev's watching live right now too so that is really great because, yeah, I was looking at the arcs. I'm like, oh, I missed my window. Dang it. And w- would you throw it in the new Thaleo then, Chris? Yeah, totally, dude. Yeah, for sure. Make uh, make OBS uh, great again. Mitch from Podverse boosts in with 5,000 sats. B-O-O-S-T. Just with a go podcasting. I had a little opportunity to chat with Mitch this week because, as you both saw, Pocket Cast announced that they have gone open source. Indeed, And so I was chatting with our buddy Mitch uh, because Podverse is a podcasting 2.0 client that's GPL and it's available for Android, iOS, and the web. And it's the embedded player we're now using on the new Jupyter Broadcasting website. And I was just was curious, Mitch's take on it. And Mitch saw a huge spike in traffic for Podverse on the day Pocket Cast announced They went open source. Interesting. That is fascinating. That's great, right? And I think, you know, it's in part because podcasts have been talking about Podverse, but also I think it's people are opening up the idea of an open source podcast app is a great idea.
0: Why do I need a proprietary company to play an MP3 file again?
1: Yeah, right? And it's also, you think about it's an open, independent media ecosystem, like the only one that exists. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's like the only one that exists. Um, and like you, why pair that with a commercial closed? Gosh, like the idea of like,
0: oh no, oh no. You know, my podcast provider they lost the licensing with Jupiter broadcasting. So I can't (laughs) listen to love anymore.
1: (laughs) The whole back catalog. Yeah. Yeah. We're fighting over Coda radio. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So uh, it was great to catch up with Mitch. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot to chat, chat with him about on office hours in a future episode coming up soon. Michael B. boosted in with 3,000 sats. Hey, Chris and team, I would love to hear your thoughts on the streaming sats while listening features in the new apps. Is it a sustainable source of value or do you see a higher amount with boost? Thanks for the great show, Michael. This is a really great question. And I really appreciate that Michael's even kind of asking this question because what he's really trying to get at is what's the best way for me to return value to the podcast while listening? Right. My take on this is always whatever system works best for you. If the set it and forget it with sat streaming is a a better method for you, I like that because it gives me a bit of signal when you're listening Uh, because, you know, I see it on my dashboard that, you know, Michael B just sent in, you know, X amount of sats. Uh, But there's no message with it. So I also really like the boost because they have a message with it. And I feel like the baller boosts and all the different boosts are a great way to invest in a particular episode production. They're also just a really motivator for the team. It's exciting, the sort of
0: real-time connection, the per-episode connection. Like, oh, they were listening to that thing that we said. It makes a huge difference because
1: that button is right there in the app. Right. And then we have our members. And our members are like our, our investors on our board that are always investing in the ongoing production of every episode for a sustained period of time. And it is... So much stress to us. It's yeah. It, unpluggedcore.com. It, either system, you know, might work better for different people, depending on what they got going on every day and in their life and whatnot, how they like to manage that kind of stuff. So, um, today we don't see like a big source of revenue from the strat, from the sat streaming. We get a higher overall one, I would suppose from the boost, but that's not really why we do this. So I don't generally have a preference in there, but I really appreciate that you're thinking about that because, um, you know, it is a small independent boutique business. It's not something that is too big to fail. If the ad market were to turn sour for a sustained period of time, things would get pretty lean around here. But it's nice to know that we have some of these real baseline essentials taken care of. So, uh, Mars X ray boosted in with 1024 sats. Pew! First time booster. What? Just wanted to say keep up the great work on the podcast. Long live Linux, or at least some representation of linux yours open sourcely mars x-ray love seeing the first time (laughs) boosters that's so great and then our last boost of the day came from a great username from thought criminal with 1,999 sats boost community supported independent media on open source yeah yeah it was a cool idea a few months ago and now it's even easier than visiting a sponsor or sending an email thanks for tuning me in on the way forward i'm in That is so great, Thought Criminal. Thank you. Also, I just wanted to say a big thank you out there to everybody who boosted in. Not all of them get on the show. We did a big batch this week because the content was just top-notch. A lot of those got us talking. A lot of thought-provoking discussion there. So that's the bar. Um, And so we really appreciate the support. We read all of them. If you didn't make it on the show, doesn't mean it wasn't a great boost. It just might have meant we got tight on time or we were going for a particular theme like we did with ButterFS this week. Um, but we appreciate and read all of them. Thank you, everybody. A couple of shout outs. A thousand sats from Opie on the live show topics. I'll follow up on that. Thank you for live shows and production. Five thousand sats from Ninja Mort, who wanted to give a shout out to Easel App and also tell us to give the great keep up the great work. We got 1492 sats. I feel like that's a particular number from RuArk. They are boost oh, they boosted in their earned sats while listening to us on Fountain. Very particular indeed. Interesting. A thousand sats from Rasta Castaversa, who was the first to report a QA issue we had in last week's episode. Thanks, Rasta. Appreciate that. And we got 100 sats from Now Science News, who is hoping that power prices will eventually come down so they can get into self hosting. We hear you, but check out things like the Odroid H3 Now Science News, because that thing's sipping like five watts, and I would bet for 90% of home use cases, especially when you consider it has quick sync for video decoding, I bet it would solve 90% of people's use cases. Chris's low power colo. There you go. Set it up here. Sell and sacks. If you'd like to send a boost into the show, newpodcastapps.com. You can also just boost with Podverse. I got a note from a listener that said, you know, I tried out Breeze. I don't know. I want to stick with AntennaPod. So what I do is I just load up the Podverse website and boost from there. Oh, that's a nice way to do it. Pull up the old show and boost Super from there. convenient. Yeah. Totes cool. Uh, we will have lots of links and resources for the uh, diffusion stuff that we talked about, for some of the AI voice stuff we talked about, all kinds of things in there. So do check out linuxunplugged.com slash... 481. 481. Or go to the new website. Give it a go. Jupiterbroadcasting.com. You know, go kick the tires. And then uh, catch Office Hours this week because... We'll be talking about that new website, won't we, Brent? Yes, we will. We might even have a special guest. Ooh, there you go. Uh, We do this show on Sundays and we do office hours on Tuesdays, both of which are noon uh, Pacific time and uh, 3 p.m. on the East Coast time, which is where Brent is at now.
2: It's true. Weird. You got to try all the time zones, see which one you like
1: best. Brent Coast time. Yeah, it's the Brent Coast.
2: See you next week. Same bad time, same
0: bad
1: station. And that does wrap us up this week. If you'd like to see how the sausage was made you can head over to jupiter.tube or you can become a member where we curate a custom-made file just for you we'd love to have you there it's a lot of fun and you get to play around with some of our tools when we talk about it but if you can't make it we understand it's how it goes for most people no hard feelings at all you can always chat with us after the fact in our matrix room you can get details at jupiterbroadcastingcom slash matrix and of course there's a slash mumble for all of our mumble details Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged Program. And I hope we'll see you right back here next Sunday. coming in oh wow these are so fun there's uh the most recent one is uh, of you oh yeah i love this one Minimec did of a uh, tux drinking a beer that's great <laughs> that is really good Minimec. sonic the hedgehog in there penguin on the beach uh this looks like a jfk going down the street but it's a car full of tuxes you guys got my drift with this one all right oh boy here's one of me it's it's kind of close. I like that it's sort of a reversed uh
0: SMB 7.
1: <laughs> like they almost got it. Yeah, it's got a it's got a podcast mic. It's got a computer screen. What's on that whiteboard? I want to know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it's got me in a shirt. That's a that's a shirt style I would actually wear. Where are the suspenders? Right, doesn't need. And oh, these podcast setups are actually pretty good. I like the you know, this is uh it's funny how how some of these actually really are God, Wes, you make the best ones. Jeez. <laughs> it's worth going in the chat just to see these. Wes Payne, you're an AI digital director artist guy over there. I'm very
0: impressed. Just trying for like Cave here? That was, the, that was inspired by Mars X-Ray. You know, that's just a fun name.
1: It, uh, it just took super complicated machine learning, AI models, and a little docker composed to bring out Wes Payne's creative side. Yeah, that's right. Pencil and paper? Heck no.